0: This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Is not Thanksgiving just the best week of the year? I mean, how many agree this is going to be one of the best weeks of the year? Yeah, I love it. I love Thanksgiving. I love the fact that it's a holiday that is revolved mainly around fellowship. There's not a whole lot of pressure about gifts. Now it's easy for me to say that because I'm not in the kitchen like some of some of you are. Uh, so there's no pressure on me. I guess if you're putting on a big meal, that could have some pressure. But I'm looking forward to this week. And part of our Thanksgiving tradition took place yesterday when we gave out 120 Thanksgiving meals at the Goodwill parking lot in Hendersonville, and it was it was a blessing. Thank you, Lord. Let's thank the Lord for that opportunity. It was a blessing uh, to participate with Christ in touching people. Uh, and what, if you've never been, what happens is we have uh, a, a, a frozen turkey and all of the fixings, and many of you help bring those, and we allow the people, uh, before they get the meal, we ask them if they need prayer, and no one's ever turned us down. And we're able to really pray with some people who need a boost. And then our lives are blessed because of that, because Jesus is glorified. So. That was a wonderful, wonderful time for us. And Wednesday, just a few days ago, uh, for the first time ever, we had a Thanksgiving dinner as a church body. And this place was packed with people bringing their casseroles and their side dishes. And it was a blast. I'm already looking forward to next year. It was just great to see everyone together. I even saw some people I hadn't seen in months that came to the Thanksgiving dinner. So I I thought that was incredible. And it was a great chance to uh, fellowship together. Well, let's go to uh, the book of Genesis. On the back of your bulletin is an outline for you to take notes because we're going to continue the series, Legends. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. We're looking at the stories and biographies of some of the great people, the uh, individuals in the Bible that if you've grown up in church, you've learned about as a child, or if you've read your Bible reading plan, you've discovered. And what I want you to remember is that the men and women in the Bible, God shows us who they are, not because they're some unreachable character that we're to idolize or even as some people do uh, even pray to, uh, we only pray to Jesus, but instead they're people just like you and me. That God has used as instruments to unfold his story to the world. And yes, there are flaws and mistakes and even sin. Yet the story of God unfolds and we are participants in that. And I want that to inspire you. Because from this moment forward, from this moment forward, the rest of your lives, you are part of God unfolding his story to the world. And so he wants you to have a vision For Your life because it's his vision for your life. God is purposeful. He created you for this generation. He birthed you at this time. God cares about the location that you're at right now. He's determined the places and times for you to live because he wants to redeem the world. He wants the story of redemption to spread throughout the world. And you and I participate in that. And Joseph did. And that's why we're going to talk about Joseph today. Now, I love teaching on Joseph because the story of Joseph teaches itself. It really is uh, one of uh, literature's great stories—the story of someone coming and overcoming adversity as God prepares them for an unlikely, uh, unlikely outcome. Now, and to understand the part of the story we're going to discuss today, I, I want to remind you of the outcome. Some of you may have heard this as a child. Some of you may be familiar with this because of your Bible reading. But the end of the story is this The end of the story is Joseph is promoted uh, to second in charge just under Pharaoh of all of Egypt. And because of his leadership, he saved not only Egypt, but his home country. And God took him further than he ever could have imagined and caused him basically to rule the world. That's the end of the story. And we have the benefit of that hindsight that's going to going to be a guide for us as we look at the first part of the story this morning. So let's start in Genesis chapter thirty-seven, and I want to go ahead and start in verse five. I think on the screen I had you starting in verse two, but where are we there? We'll, we're at three. Let's go to the next slide. Right there in the middle of the screen, you'll say Joseph had a dream. I want this to be the basis of what we talk about. Joseph had a dream. And we're going to talk about dreams a little bit today because when I think about Joseph, I think about dreams. And dreams are an important part of who we are. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So they already had a baseline of hate, but when he shared the dream, they hated him even more. Six, he said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now that, that's an awesome dream if you're the one sheaf. <laughs> I mean I like that dream. The rest of you suckers are going to serve me. That's something that that's very beneficial. So, so moving on in the scripture, and verse 8 said, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And They hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as the brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So dreams, dreams really uh, messed up relationships here. And dreams are something that are an important part of all of our lives, but dreams mature. We start off with a dream, and uh, those dreams are really out of our imagination. I I remember the first Olympics I remember watching was the 1984 Olympics that happened in Los Angeles and the 1980 Olympics um, were boycotted uh, by America and then I, I would have no recollection before that. So it was 1984 Olympics, happened in Los Angeles. I remember Edwin Moses would run the hurdles with speed and ease, he would just go over every hurdle. And at that time, I was nine years old, and I remember thinking, I want to, I have a dream, I want to run the hurdles in the Olympics. I had the vision, I had the dream, and that night I had the fortitude, I had the plan. But I'm standing here before you today, and I just want to tell you that me being an Olympic hurdler, that dream does not seem likely right now. That might be hard for you to imagine. But now at age 36, for me to go and and to be an Olympic hurdler, it just is not going to happen. And that's one of the things about dreams that I think disappoint us sometimes is because we've had so many different dreams, and dreams die. And the way I like to say them is better than dreams die, I think dreams mature. And we use our imagination early on in life, and as time goes on, Uh, A series of disappointments cause us to encounter reality. But the question is this the question is this is there ever a time we should stop dreaming? And I would suggest to you this morning is no. There's never a time we should stop dreaming because when we dream, we begin to imagine a future that's better than what we have right now. So, what that means is this is that our dreams change. I mean, as life goes on, dreams change. Our dreams mature. And dreams, they, they are, are clearly defined. Even sometimes as we recognize our limits, we realize that, okay, my dreams, th- this is the scope. These are the boundaries. But we should never stop dreaming. And now we use the term imagination as a helpful term for you and I to grasp, but it's really not a great biblical term for us as spirit-led people. Because as people who belong to God, our lives are not our own, right? We talk about that when we take up the offering. Our money's not our own. Our possessions are not our own. Our family's not our own. Nothing is our own. It's God's. So, for, so therefore, our dreams are not our own either. So there are dreams that move beyond just the imagination and just beyond the preference, now I'm talking about today, when I'm talking about Joseph, dreams that God places in your heart. Dreams that come from the throne of God. Dreams that God has put in your heart. And he has said, this is what God has planned for you. Now, this morning, this story is here to encourage you. It's here to encourage you that God's dreams for your life is he's still advancing. He still wants them to come to the Here's the first thing I want you to write down. is dream despite the doubters. Because you read the story, you read the narrative, Joseph was immature with his dream, he didn't really show tact, Uh, he didn't use wisdom when he shared his dream, and all of those things are, are part of being an adolescent or a young adult, but he shared his dream, and the principle you can understand here is that whenever you begin to share your dream or God's dream for your life, people are going to start doubting it. We mistakenly think that everybody's going to get on board. We mistakenly think that everybody is going to agree with us. And, you know, I've observed this, that when, when children dream, it's okay uh, to encourage them. Like, you know, if you spend time with children, you say, what do you want to be when you grow up and... And they'll share, I wanna be a sports figure or I wanna be a police officer or whatever it is. And you're like, yeah, buddy, go for it. That's great, dream on. But somewhere in your uh, late teens or early 20s or getting their 30s or as you're an adult, when you begin to share your dream with people, people are gonna start doubting it. Why? Because if your dream comes true, that's less glory for them. If you become successful, that makes them feel a little less successful. Now, you know, whenever you begin to advance and you begin to accomplish whatever field, I want you to apply this to your life, wherever you are, whatever field God has called you to do, and you begin to get a vision for your life, and you begin to get a vision for your job, or you get a vision for your house, or whatever it is. And when other people discover that, they're not always going to like that. Because what happens is your success brings out something within someone else that makes them think, you know, I'm not as successful as I wish I I could have been. And that's really our sinful nature, our sinful nature that makes us jealous, our sinful nature that's filled with pride, hopefully through Jesus, the fruits of the Holy Spirit will overcome that. But there are some people who have stopped your dream because they have doubted you. And maybe they've been key people in your life, key people in your life, that you've shared a dream with and they've said, no, that's, that's just, that's not for you. They didn't do it out of love. Because sometimes leaders do help us to find things. But they did it because they didn't see what God sees in you. Others who, who may have had the ability to promote you, but they not recognize your abilities or they have doubted that. I've had many times in my life where I've shared something close to my heart, something I feel like God's put in my heart, and, and there's been a, just an attitude of criticism or an attitude of doubt. And right there, that's when God's dream can stop in your life. That's where God's dream can stop in your life. And right away in this story, Joseph, who didn't have the wisdom to hold this in his heart, shared this with his brothers, and what did the Scripture say? They hated him even more. We don't know this for a fact, but probably Joseph went to get more encouragement. He probably wanted to get encouragement for his brothers, but he shared the dream, and they hated him more than they hated him before. So God's here to remind you this morning that just because everybody doesn't believe in your dream doesn't mean God doubts your dream. Just because key people in your life doubt what's going on, and key people in your life maybe even may start resenting you for your advancement. God doesn't resent that. God wants to show you through Joseph today that despite your, despite other people's doubts, keep dreaming. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. Dream despite the detours. Dream despite the detours. And the older you get, the more detours in life that you realize. You realize that Often, from point A to point B, it's not a straight line. That there is obstacles in the way. Sometimes the path in front of us is is totally changed. Could be our fault, could be someone else's fault, or it could be God's sovereign plan. But there are detours. And read with me the story, and we'll go now to verse 23, and you'll see this incredible detour in Joseph. It says, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robes, That he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat the meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brothers and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianites, merchants, came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, and they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. You want to talk about a detour? You talk about getting the dream from God, and then every circumstance tells you it was a mistake. Every circumstance tells you you thought wrong. None of the data supported what God had said. God, God had showed clearly through two separate dreams that Joseph was going to rule over his brothers. His brothers hated him for it. They doubted him. And then they put him on the ultimate detour. They, 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 they did more than just send him to another country. They, they virtually killed him. They killed his identity. They killed his hope for advancement. Uh, when they sold him into slavery, you could even, you could even say it was, it was worth, worse than death in that context. Because he was going to be in servitude the rest of his life. A person with no rights, a person with no, no hopes. Uh, he, he was going to live a, a very menial life, a, a horrible existence. And that was an ultimate detour. And you can imagine what Joseph must have felt like as he traveled from Canaan to Egypt, as, as he was put in, in, in Potiphar's house as a servant, and we'll read a little more about that in, momentarily, as he ultimately was imprisoned. How many, how many just undescribable nights, just a normal night, a normal day, could Joseph have questioned God? Yet he held on to his dream. Reminds me of a scripture in James chapter 5. This scripture has meant a lot to me. It's really, it's talking about the coming of the Lord, but it has dual meaning. Verse 7, James chapter 5, verse 7 says, Be patient then, brothers, till the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. That's encouragement for all of us who wait for King Jesus to come. But it's also encouragement for those of us who are are waiting for God's intervention and God to move into our lives and God to cause uh, his dream to come to pass in our life. We know that life is a rhythm. Life has seasons. And farmers who really most, most of the world up until contemporary time has been a farmer, they've really have to trust God because there's only so much they can do. They, they, can, they can plant and they can prepare the soil but ultimately they're waiting on a sovereign God to send the rain and send the right amount of sunlight. And they're waiting for God to create the condition of the soil. And it takes patience especially when you're in between the seasons. Some of you might be in between the seasons today. God wants to encourage you today. He wants to remind you that, that in between the seasons, is when, that's when it really takes faith. It really takes faith to remember what God said in the first place and his dream for you, despite the doubters, despite the detours. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for exactly what God has for me. So, why Romans 12.12 12 is such a, such a beautiful scripture. It says, be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. I love that scripture because so many of us have hopes for the future, but our hopes have anxiety. We, we're, we're wondering when is God going to come through, or how is God going to come through, and this is taking so long. And hope can feel very tiring. Hope can feel very draining. Hope can feel almost exhausting. And this scripture reminds us, no, be joyful in hope. I might not have today what I thought I would have by now. And I might not have today what I thought God was going to give me. And I'm in between seasons. But, and I'm hopeful that change will happen. But in that time, I am joyful in hope. I am patient in affliction. And I'm faithful in prayer. Always going to the Father. Always going to God. Asking Him to touch me. Here's the last thing I want you to write down. Dream, despite injustices. Dream despite injustice, and go into verse, verse six of chapter thirty-nine. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. This is Potiphar, and with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. that phrase jumps out to me. Day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties and none of the household servants was inside. When his master heard this, uh, excuse me, none of his house, her servants were inside and she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left the cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. And when she saw that he left his cloak in her hand, he Ran out of the house and she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew's been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she took him, she told him this story. Now, this is the part of injustice that I want you to see. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and I ran out of the house. When his master heard the story to his wife, he told him, saying, This is how you slave treated me? And he burned with anger, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. From the dream to the injustice. As I was praying about this service this morning, I feel like there's some of you in here that you feel like somebody has wrecked your dream and there's been a lot of injustice. You've been either falsely accused or you've been falsely characterized. People have made assumptions about you that just are not the case. They're just not the facts. And there's nothing you can do about someone else's perception. But you feel handicapped. You feel like you're at a place. You feel imprisoned by somebody else. I want to tell you today that no one can imprison what God has spoken over you. You might feel like you're in prison and maybe it's an emotional prison or maybe it's a place of limitation, but the end of the story hasn't happened. In the darkest point, in the darkest moment, we think the story is over. We think the story is at the end, but we don't know that we're right in the middle of what God's doing. The story's not over, even at our lowest point even when the injustice is the worst, even when we're dealing with bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, and and we just simply uh, can't understand that things have turned out the way they are. You know that God's not done yet. He's not finished yet. The story's not over. He is telling us through Joseph today that he's still working despite the injustice. The Lord wants you to know today that if you've been the victim, of injustice, that he sees that, he knows that, he understands that. But the Lord is not done with you. Other people may be done with you. And that's a fact. Some people have written you off. Some people have have abandoned you. Some people have have just no longer want to help things come to pass in your life. They no longer want to help your dream come true. But God's not done with you yet. He hasn't finished. Joseph goes to prison and even in prison, even right there in prison, he helps people and he helps dreams come true. And the cupbearer was one of the people he encountered, the king's cupbearer. and He gave a dream to the, dream, to the king's cupbearer and, and he said, just remember me, just remember me when you go to the king. And so you would think that this was it. I mean, God, God's really come through now. What's the likelihood of me encountering the king's cupbearer? There have you ever been one of those circumstances where you think, oh man, this is it. This is how God's gonna come through. This is how God's gonna make it happen. And the whole scenario was going along just better than you could have imagined. You encounter the king's cupbearer, and then he gets promoted out of prison. And now you have connection to the king, and now you know that everything everything's going to come to pass like you imagine. Now let's go to verse 40. Excuse me, chapter 40, verse 23. It says, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. The story didn't unfold like he thought. The story didn't unfold like he thought. And this must have been As you read the narrative, you think, this must have been the lowest moment. How could it get any lower? How could it get any lower? Can I tell you that in the moment that you get to the place where every plan that you've tried to devise in your own mind and every scenario you've tried to imagine and every circumstance you've tried to create, they failed. And you're at the end. No more option. No more hope. In the prison. Forgotten, some of us feel forgotten. We feel like no one's remembered us. They've, never, they've not remembered what we could do or what we can do it, or they haven't remembered to promote us, and, and we are just forgotten. Opportunity is left. Opportunity is left. The window is closed. the door has shut. That's a tough, tough place to be emotionally. That's a dark place. And there's sometimes dark places in our soul. But here's the good news. To the story of Joseph, God's reminding us this morning, when you're at the lowest place, you're at the darkest place, you're in prison, you're forgotten, you're right in the exact position for God to promote you. You're right in the position for God to take you to the place he wanted you to be in the beginning. He has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. Our God is mighty. Our God is powerful. And our God can do in one day what you can't do in a lifetime. Our God doesn't forget his promise. Our God does not turn back on his word. Our God knows the plans he has for us. And he knew when Joseph was just an immature teenager. He knew that the plan was just as real then as it was when he was in the pit and being sold into slavery and it was just as real when he was in Potiphar's house and it was just as real when he was in the detours and it was just as real when he was in the injustice and it was just as real when he was in the prison and it was just as real as when he was forgotten because our God does not change even though the circumstances are dark and the circumstances are hard and the hope seems gone with Jesus the hope is never gone because he has a plan and it's God's dream you see we started out talking about our dreams and we try to imagine things But, you know, our imagination is limited and our imagination uh, will disappoint us. But God's dream will come to pass and he will promote us. And we know the end of the story. Joseph was positioned divinely to save his family, to save his country and to save the world. That's our God. God, let's pray about this. Let's stand together. We thank you, Lord, the giver of dreams. The Lord is the giver of dreams that Lord is the giver of dreams. We thank you, Lord. Lord, you're the restorer of dreams, Lord. The Lord Lord wants to remind us this morning he doesn't just give dreams, he sustains dreams. Now, he's telling you this right now. Listen, God's not the type of person who gives you a dream and then just says, hope it works out. God didn't give you a dream and and says, uh, I hope that one dream's enough to sustain you through adversity, good luck. That's not our God. Our God is a giver of dreams, but he's a sustainer of dreams and he nurtures them and he breathes life into them. And he gives hope when there's not hope. And he, you know, he he sends the wind of his spirit on the embers of our dreams and a new flame comes and we thank you for that, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. Begin to stir things, God. The Lord's just saying, dream again, hope again. Hope comes through me. Some of you say, I'm tired of dreaming. I'm tired of hoping. I'm weary. And the Lord says, that's okay because I want you to do it through me. Don't do it through your own strength. Don't do it through your own limitations. Don't dream through your own imagination. There's something from God. It's birthed deep down. It's deep and from the Lord. The Lord has implanted it. The Lord has birthed it. The Lord has started it. The Lord is the one that's watching over it. The Lord is watching over your dreams. He is watching over the dreams because he wants to accomplish his will. And you begin to say, well, that feels selfish and that feels self-centered. Can I tell you that? Your dream's not about you anyway. Your dream is about his plan. It's about his purposes. God, restore our dreams, restore our fortunes. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, I want to begin to speak this over you. God, I pray, Lord, for resurrection life, oh God. Resurrection life in those things you put into our hearts. Father, I pray, Lord, that God, you would begin to define mature, nurture, and watch over the dreams you put in our hearts. They're yours anyway. They belong to you in the first place. Father, if some of us have taken our dreams that came from you, and we begin to own them and manipulate them, and we begin, Lord, to use them for our own purposes, God says, give those dreams back. Give those dreams back. They were mine in the first place, and they'll remain mine. We thank you for that, Lord. They're yours, Lord. They're yours, Lord. We give them back to you again, back to the sacrifice, back to the altar, and we love you and we praise your name for that. You're a good God. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church of in Indian Lake.